Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Mr. Rob Hayes for the end of season review slash preview of next season slash transfer news slash possible Europa League opponents slash whatever else we go through in the next Two parts. It's a two-parter. Can you believe we've made it to the end of yet another season and we are still talking rubbish about football to each other? We're we're over half a decade old now on the podcast and we're going to stick in the majority of cases with the tried and tested structure of the end of season reviews with a few little extras added in. First up, how was Malta? Hot, very hot. I did not see a single cloud for the whole five days that I was there. Um, you know the weather that everybody had on Friday last week in the UK that was boiling, like mid-30s? That that was Malta every day. So when I flew back on, on Friday, actually, we landed and the, um, the air steward opened the door and I was on the front row and he just looked at me and he said, why is it so hot? Have we accidentally landed back in Malta? But no, what you guys had on Friday for one day was what I had for an entire week. But I had the joys of the swimming pool and the all-inclusive bar very close to my sunbed. So I was fine. I survived it. Good. And not being too horrible, but you're not possibly the best in heats, yeah? The heat, I don't mind. It's the it's the actual sun <laughs> on my skin that is that I'm not a massive fan of. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a very very pale man. Uh, I've got um, I've got the skin of a ginger, but I've avoided most of the hair colour. Um, I slept on the factor fifty every day. Fifty. I avoided the sun for a couple of hours in the middle of the day, so I got out nice and early, and then I enjoyed the sort of mid sort of late afternoon sunshine as well um and i and i survived yeah i didn't get burnt at all i got more burnt yesterday afternoon in uh, my mate's garden for his 30th birthday oh my god typical for fox sake review preview etc we haven't even mentioned the football yet and we're already five minutes in but this is the way it is and, and i'm glad you mentioned about the um the, the podcast the fact that it's been over five years now so uh congratulations everyone for listening and here's to another five years maybe more news later on in fact uh as we look forward to next season not just with the football club but also with the podcast and maybe what we can do better what we can do uh what can we can change or or add to etc any ideas we've said this before then you can let us know because it's your podcast. Um, okay, Rob. Now it's going to be two parts. Okay, so when you're listening to this, you realise that on your podcast listening app of choice, that there is two parts. Now it's not going to be a straightforward. Part one is a review, and part two is a look to next season. I think it's going to be very difficult to actually talk about what's happened this season without mentioning how things can change or what things need to stay or whatever for next season at the same time. So it's just going to be a big mess of 
what's happened, what we need to change, what we need to add, who we need to add, what do we think, a look at Europe, all the dates involved, things that have happened this season in the Premier League, also the Fancy Football League, a look at the podcast, etc. All that to come. So it's just going to be one big blurb, but over two parts. Okay, where do we start, Rob, <laughs> with this season? I mean, if you if you just look at it as part of what's going on at the moment, it is not something that you need to be taking really seriously because obviously there's bigger things at foot at the moment. But um, as a season as a whole, just nuts. Absolutely nuts. In many ways, there are highlights that Leicester have only had or once or twice ever in their history. There's been some proper lows and the low being not eventually qualifying for the Champions League and also losing in the semi-final of the League Cup when they shouldn't really have beaten Aston Villa. Um, but also, away from just those two specifically for Leicester, the big low is football as it is. And we'll we'll take this in into a, a context of just talking about football. We know there's bigger things going on. But um, the way that football is, with no fans and at the time of recording, the more than likelihood of no fans at least at the start of next season, which would probably include going to watch Leicester away in Europe, which is something that we all uh, want and and want to relive what happened a few years ago. That's going to have a huge effect on when we look to next season in terms of finance, in terms of player signing, but also just, just football as a whole. It is. It's It's a different kind of spectacle, if you like, because... You know, in the days when fans were allowed in the stadiums, um, it was almost a bit of a treat or a bit of a privilege to have one of your games chosen for television. And Leicester City have become a much bigger draw in recent years because of what happened with the Premier League win in 2016 in terms of being picked more regularly for, for television games. But it's always always felt still like, a oh, Leicester are on telly, that's, that's good. Especially if we can't make the game or it's... Um, an away game where tickets are even harder to come by. Uh, and certainly for me, in the first part of this season, my first um, time since I went to university living out of outside of Leicester, so getting back for games wasn't anywhere near as um, as easy as or as regular. So, so, so watching it on the TV was quite a treat. But And, and I'm not saying that I'd, I'd, I don't like watching it on TV, but it's become the norm very quickly because obviously since the restart it was the only way to watch your team and every game was televised so um i got a subscription to to sky sports for the first time um i've never really bothered with it because i thought well if leicester are on telly then i'll go out and watch it down the pub um and the rest of it i will probably just sap all of my time which it has done but it was lockdown so it's fine i've watched a lot of football but it, the season's now over, and that was good at the time, but it, now you feel like you would want to be looking forward to getting back in the stadium, looking forward to possibly even getting out to see a couple of pre-season friendlies and watching the, a new signing in action. Or like last summer, I went to the the pre-season friendly at Stoke, and it was just nice to sit in the summer in a, in a stadium where um, you, know, you didn't have to fight for a ticket or anything, and, and you could just watch the kind of system that Leicester were going to try and employ under Brendan Rodgers. 
you lose that. You, you, your viewing of football that is now and for the foreseeable future dictated by whatever the TV cameras want to show you. And it'd be interesting to see actually what the broadcast deal is for next season. Because this was obviously a short space of time. Let's get the season done. Let's televise every game. But is it going to be the same come September when the season restarts? Because if you're talking about the government legislation um, about allowing fans back into sporting events... The October sort of carrot that was dangled by Boris Johnson is surely going to be blown out of the water already because the pilot events that were supposed to be um, sort of trialling sort of limited number of spectators back in in stadiums and in in, in venues um, at the weekend just gone was was cancelled, was brought to a halt. I think snooker fans got in for a day for the first day of the World Championships. That was one of the indoor pilot events. Gone. Cricket. Gone. And... You know, it's looking with these local lockdowns like the breaks are going to be put on and possibly we're going to go back to something that we saw around March or April time. So the reality is you're probably going to go at least half a season without getting in the stadium again. So it's a very strange feeling. It is. And I don't think it's going to change at all. I can't see, for instance, the season starting with fans in the stadium. But we shall see. And... When we look back at what happened this season and we look towards the first half of the season, or at least up until Christmas, it does seem slightly odd that there are fans there. And that's something that we don't want to carry on. We don't want it to be the norm that we look back at, at, at footage of, of crowds or hear crowds and it and it's and it seems slightly odd. It it will be the case if if it carries on like it uh, looks like it will be. But um but we look back at the season, and we're not going to go for every single game. But pick out one or two, one one or two highlights, and 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 low points as well, because all seasons have uh, up and down points. But to win nine nil away at Southampton is and was remarkable. The highest uh, away win in the Premier League, top flight football, etc. Um, and to be five nil up at half time, and then come out after half time. And as we said at the time on for Fox 8, be so ruthless unless they had that at that point of the season. The the team was absolutely flying in essence of wins because it was part of eight wins on the bounce, um, club record, and also the way that they were playing. The system that was employed by Rodgers was working perfectly. There was no need for any plan B, which we don't really have at the club at the moment, and maybe it's something to look towards rectifying for next season. But everything was working perfectly. New signings, the likes of Iosi Perez scoring goals, scoring hat-tricks, young players who we hoped would then kick on and develop were doing so. The likes of Harvey Barnes, and Ben Chilwell on the left were, well, unplayable essentially that day. Yuri Tillemans pulling the strings, Jamie Vardy being his usual clinical best, Ricardo on the right, borderline unplayable at times, and we had a very vocal away fan uh, group of away supporters with their, with their scarves, etc. And it was just the perfect storm in the essence of the performance and also in the weather as well. It, it, it's very easy to look back on, an, on a win like that and go, oh, yeah, that was a high. But it just it encapsulated everything that Brendan Rodgers and Leicester were about this season. 
and it's 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 something to look back on with pride because it's very easy to look back on this season and be overall disappointed because of the way they finished. And I think that's possibly how you should look, really. I, I actually do. And I changed my mind because I've written down here, don't be disappointed. But actually, no, we, we should be because if we're going to aim to be a top four club and you didn't get in the top four after being there for so long and being so far clear, then you want to have that next season. You don't want to settle for, for second best. But don't take away from performances like this because I know the scoreline might be quite outrageous and not happen again. But I think we can look forward to further days with performances of a similar level. Of course we can, yeah. And that Southampton game came... I'm just looking back at the at the fixtures for that season. We'd only lost twice. Uh, and that was to Liverpool and Manchester United. So it was a very good start to the season anyway. Um, and then you get the 9-0 against Southampton. You think, flipping heck, we, we look... A, brilliant team especially um going forward and like you say the ruthlessness there to to continue to drive forward and keep wanting to score more and more goals was something that we've not particularly seen in in terms of the fact that the the, the belief that they are allowed to do that almost you know Leicester um and we'll come on to talk about this more in, in when we look ahead to next season. But Leicester have almost been a little bit too nice in recent years. And you could almost say that Brendan Rodgers' formate, uh, his tactics sometimes can be too nice. But it didn't look like it in that game against Southampton. It kick-started a, a good run of, of wins, as you as you said there. And to just touch on on how you, how you should or how you might feel now we're in the post-season and we've had a week... Also to digest things, I'm, I'm still at the point where I, if you look back at the season as a whole, you go, cheers, fifth place, second highest finish in the Premier League era, excellent, brilliant season, lots to be pleased about, but you also think about the, the disappointment that took place over several weeks, really, when you think when you think about the form. Since Christmas, but also more recently since the restart, um, which culminated in the defeat to Manchester United in the last game of the season, which which meant that we weren't in the top four. Uh, uh, so that disappointment still exists. But I think um, if that exists within us as supporters, then it will definitely exist within the players. They'll look back and go, yes, okay, we finished fifth, we qualified for Europe. That was the intent at the start of the season. But we're disappointed that we didn't make the top four based on the position that we got ourselves in. So hopefully that will prove to be a driving force for next season. We've tasted what it was like to be up there. Um, we have tasted the disappointment of not being there. It's all about now making sure that the form that we showed in the first half of the season is more consistent over the whole season. And I think the season kind of mirrors what happened in, in games, particularly in the second half of the season, where you'd have 45 minutes of great football. Then it would be a bit disappointing after the, uh, after the break. Or the other way around, you'd have a really tepid um, first half. And then after the break, they'd come out and they'd, and they'd do what they were capable of doing. The season mirrors what happened in the games, 
And next season is about making sure that you show tangible steps of progress to make that happen over a longer period of time. You're not going to be able to sustain it for 38 games. Nobody's asking you to do that. But more consistency rather than half and half. Now, you mentioned about being a, a nice team. We've had an email from John Towers and he mentions this. He mentions about the mentality of Leicester and being compared with a, a big or, or, or bigger clubs. And he also writes down on his email a, a list of Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Leicester and in a mini league, how many points each club received off each other when, when playing against each other. And Leicester, there was only two points way behind the 19 Manchester United picked up, which he rightly highlights the fact that that can be perceived as being a, a, a nice club. And he also says that, and, and a lot of people would uh, uh, say and use an example, would be Ben Chilwell, who on, on numerous occasions and, and using the uh, the words on the on the email said laughing and being chummy with uh, opponent players before kickoff and after kickoff as well at the end of the game. And... It shows a lack of game face, as uh, John, and uh, and that we mean business here, and we're here to win. And um, and a lot of people, and I would be one, who would say that we, we may be lost out when we played against the the so called lesser teams. And uh, and he actually says um, he highlights Bournemouth, Brighton at home, Watford away, and also Norwich performances as where we lost it. Um, but then also with those uh, performances and the results, especially against the big sides perceived big sides in the in, in the Premier League. Now, just the confidence, arrogance, grittiness within the team that when they turn out, uh, they have an expectation that they are going to win or at least not lose the game. He says, for me, the Aston Villa semi-final demonstrated the same thing, uh, which I completely agree with. And then he also goes on to, to make points regarding being gutted, not being in the top four. Um, and also... Uh, with a look to next season, whether the move to the new training ground, for example, will change that mentality because we will be a, again, bigger club because we have the bigger uh, training ground. It's more, I'm not going to say professional, but you know what I mean. You're not turning up a, a Beaver Drive. You're turning up a, a brand new spanking training ground. It's like, look, boys, you know, we mean business now. Um, and it's, it, it is interesting. You, you look back at that game against Southampton and... There was no one out there would have thought that we're going to carry on that fall. We're not going to beat nine, win nine nil every game, or 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 even just that level of performance. And and, and some people might rightly say, well, they did get a man sent off early, etc. But after that game, um, I believe it was Crystal Palace away. The next game, a completely different game where we won two nil, a late goal to seal the the win, but Soyuncu scored, and I was not equally, but because it was such a different game. We had to control, we had to defend well in a different manner to most sides in the Premier League when you play against Palace. It's more Route 1 and aerial. And and we did that. So to completely change the way that the game was played and, and, and to change into a different performance, but equally look very impressive, uh, was, was, was fantastic. And when we look to next season, it is a real platform to build from. Um now, in amongst the highs, there are lows. And the semi-finals against Aston Villa, or the semi-final against Aston Villa, the two legs, were so disappointing, Rob, because the first game, it was, it was 
they were, they were poor. They really were poor. And I'm not entirely sure how they've managed to stay up in the Premier League, Aston Villa. But we we should have been clear in that first game at the King Power. And then the second game was a poor performance against a side who we've beaten convincingly at Villa Park earlier in the season. And we can go on to VAR and complain about uh, the poor decisions that were made. And rightfully so. Leicester, in fact, if you remember, wrote to um, straight to the the, the FA or, or to the, the governing bodies concerned to say, hang on, VAR hasn't worked because you've looked at the wrong clip and it wasn't seen on, on the field of play and what a, what a bit of a mess. And, and if we can come on to VAR later or we can just round it off now, really. Um, but that semi-final performance over the two legs was really disappointing because they should have won against Aston Villa side who are poor, but also didn't need to be anything special. They didn't need to perform as a Leicester side used to against better sides in the Premier League or in cup competitions. If you go back to, say, the early, well, uh, mid to late 90s, for example, that side stepping up against uh, better footballing sides, really, and outperforming on many occasions. That's what, if you just look at how Aston Villa got through against Leicester, just written down in a newspaper, but that wasn't the case. Because I still think to this day that Aston Villa didn't play very well over the two games and somehow, through a decent goal late on, managed to kind of, not jammy their way in the final, but they just didn't do it by by doing what Leicester used to do. It was just a very, very disappointing thing because we've not seen Leicester in a in a cup final for, for, for donkeys. The FA Cup is something we spoke about and I spoke... Suppose we better mention the quarter final against Chelsea in, in in a period of time where we were playing very poorly with a, a lot of problems and and it was a almost very predictable defeat and probably in the manner of a a, a defeat and a scoreline that was was easily predictable as well really and you roll these two together but mainly that those two games against Aston Villa there's no reason why and we'll mention this when we mention players that they possibly could sign that Leicester next season should not aim to win three tournaments okay the FA Cup the League Cup and the Europa League to win the Premier League would be amazing but realistically you know and they had their chance this year they really did to get to that final they had their chance to get to the semi-final and they need to change that how they change it do they change with players do they change with the mentality, which is being talked about all the time by Brendan Rodgers, but over time it does need to change. They've got players who have won stuff in the squad, but what do they need to get to the next stage? Is it just through their development? Is it just through more experience? We'll wait and see. But um, that was a real low point for me. It was, yeah. When I was thinking about the the lows, um the obviously the disappointment of the final day of the season and and having it confirmed that we weren't making it into the top four was first in my brain, but very quickly second was losing to Aston Villa in the semi-finals because what that represented was a very realistic chance of a cup final. And yes, it's not the FA Cup, which is the one that still is lingering over us over 125 years later. Um, but it was... 
you know, you know, we've enjoyed in in our lifetimes. We've been lucky enough to enjoy um, League Cup success. And let's be honest with you, finishing fifth and lifting a trophy is better than finishing fifth and not lifting a trophy. It, it's it, and it was a chance to to have a go at the cup final, which probably would have been played with supporters, wouldn't it? Because this, the second semi final was the twenty eighth of January, so. You know, it would have been a day at Wembley for the Leicester supporters, which doesn't come around that often. Even though Leicester are a club that have been in and around the latter stages of cup competitions, as we've said in our lifetimes as supporters, it would have been great to have another go at it. And and when you look at the fact that we come through games against Newcastle on penalties and Everton against uh, on penalties, and then beat two lower league clubs like Luton and Burton which are always potential stumbling blocks. You've done all the hard work. You've got two legs. You've got 180 minutes to show that you are a much better side than Aston Villa. And we didn't do it. And it is that big game mentality. It's that it's not the winning mentality. It's, it's the belief that you are going to win the game. You know, it it almost felt like we went into that game with a bit of nervousness, with a bit of trepidation, and held something back that never manifested itself, and never showed itself in a, a, at any point. So, yes, you can talk about decisions, VAR, whatever, but ultimately, we had plenty of time to win that tie over two legs, and we didn't. And this goes back to the thing that I said about disappointment being a driving force for next season, because, yes, we've had a good season, uh, and a very good season, really, um, because fifth place is a finish that, that we weren't expecting at the start of the season. But the disappointment of missing out and being so close is surely something that's got to drive the, the players next season. Now, you've got to wonder whether Brendan Rodgers believes that he and his coaching staff can gradually alter the mentality of these players and of the club in general from being a decent-sized club in the Premier League and one that comfortably um, plays in the top flight year upon year, which is something that I think we've established now, having having been in the top flight for, what, five, six seasons now. Um, the mentality of the players, the coaching staff, the club staff, and ultimately the supporters has got to change if... We want to be winning silverware regularly, competing in the top four regularly. And so Brendan Rodgers has got a job to do in this very short summer to look at his squad and say, right, can I change the mentality of this entire group of players? They're not losers. We're not, we're not, let, let, let's make this clear. They're not losers, but it's the mentality to go that extra step to win that game, not just win games, win that game when it matters and whether he can do that with this current group of players or whether that fuels the criteria for the players that he brings in to bolster the squad will be interesting to see because if he believes that he can get that out of the players that are there now then I would see him bringing in some transfers of a similar kind of style young um moldable into his style and in, in, into the group but if he doesn't think he can get that out of this current group of players without a few extra 
big characters in the squad, then he's got to go out and get some proven winners, some proven big game players. And I think what he does in the transfer window will give us a bit of an indication as to how he thinks he can alter the mentality of this squad to push us on to the next level. Jamie Vardy is good at football, Rob. He scored 23 goals in the Premier League this season and he's won the Golden Boot, the first Leicester player to win outright the Golden Boot. And he turns 34 in January. So we have a 33-year-old scoring plenty of goals but behind him in the side, there is no one at the moment who you would say is there to lead the line in the absence of Jamie Vardy for any lengthy period of time. That's maybe something for later on when we talk about signings. But Jamie Vardy, another brilliant season. And to win the Golden Boots was, I think, when it became clear that we were going to lose on the final day of the season and quickly attention turned to whether anyone else was going to score an extra goal or so to to move alongside Vardy in, in, in the golden boot. And I think most fans will take a lot of pride, really, in Vardy winning the golden boot and then going on to win uh, supporters' player of the year, players' player of the year, etc. He is uh, a marvel, really. And we, we, we to go back over the story of Jamie Vardy might take... Um, uh, an awful long time and, and probably deserves its own podcast which may be something uh, we could do in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the few weeks of the off-season however many it is it's not many is it but uh, Vardy another brilliant season and he's just irreplaceable as Leicester's number nine of course he is and when you know we haven't we, we've decided before this podcast what areas we were going to talk about but at no point have we discussed what our highs and lows were going to be necessarily be um that's something that we like in to, to try and keep this podcast as natural as possible we say right okay here's here's a topic or here's um something that we're going to discuss but we don't actually discuss it until right at this moment and everything that i've written on my highs and lows we have covered vardy getting the golden boot was a high for the team or for the season uh, to score that many goals at his age and looking where he's come from is, is quite frankly a ridiculous thing to do. And he continues to um, to sort of astound, really, when you consider where he's come from. I read his autobiography while I was uh, sweating in Malta. And obviously, as Leicester fans, we know the backstory quite well and... Um, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, I play football now in Sheffield um, on Stocksbridge Park Steel's training ground uh, and I actually made my debut for the team in front of the Jamie Vardy stand. So I fully appreciate where he's come from, but reading it again and, if, uh, and in his words and, and sort of finding out a little bit more about his personal life and, and what was going on while he was playing semi-professionally, it's just unbelievable. The it is it is the kind of thing that would be written as a story, as a fictional story. But he's done it. He's living it, and he's still doing it. And I think he and the team deserve credit for the fact that he scored twenty three goals this season. He mainly, but obviously there are the people that that um, provided the assists for him. And yeah, at the moment, 
And quite rightly so. This team has to be built around getting him in goal-scoring positions because he's the top scorer in the Premier League. He's a top scorer in the Premier League, Rob, and also he's 13 goals clear of the, the next in the Leicester lineup. Uh, Iniacho with 10, and then you go Madison 9, Perez 8, and uh, uh, and Barnes 7. But um, it, it's not just that. It's also this season he had uh, uh, the celebration turned up to 11, really, because of maybe off-the-field bits and bobs surrounding, uh, surrounding his family, etc. But when there were fans in the ground, they just don't learn, do they, Rob? They don't learn that. If they taunt Jamie Vardy, and this happened towards, I think it was the end of towards the end of last season. I think it was uh, uh, kind of started, and then it, it, it carried on this season. But um, for me, it was the the eagle celebration <laughs> at uh, at Palace. That was a, a, a personal highlight. Yeah, there was that one. There was uh, the one against Sheffield United as well, which. Um... I'm surprised has done the round so so much because of all of the obscene gestures in the background as he's cupping his ears to to listen to the the noise that's coming from them. But you know whatever fuels him, long may it continue. Because look, he scores goals for fun. He has never really seemed to be bothered by any kind of um, rubbish that anybody gives him. And and reading his book actually, it was interesting that he's he's very much his own harshest critic we all know um that that he considered sort of walking away from football really um when he'd first signed for Leicester and he was struggling for goals in the championship uh, and struggling for game time um and it's surprising that somebody who's risen so rapidly through the football league um and skipped a few divisions as he's gone along has um has that self-doubt there but it's almost like that gets washed away when other people are giving him stick. He loves to be the pantomime villain. He loves, if somebody's giving him stick, the reaction is to put the ball in the back of the net and then say, yes, yes, me. So even though as as England fans, everybody loved him and appreciated what he brought to the, the team, and it would have been interesting, actually, if the Euros were happening this summer, whether Vardy would have got the call-up, because he's not officially retired, has he, From for, uh, as the Premier League's top scorer, you know, would Southgate have come knocking on his door? England fans, when he's in an England shirt, loved him. When he's playing against your club, you'd hate him. And I'd be exactly the same if he was playing for any other club other than us. I would not like him. But he plays for Leicester, thankfully. Four wins in 17 games since uh, New Year's Day uh, would put Leicester actually 12th in, in a kind of form league. So when we say... Without a number of the first-team players, Leicester are a mid-table side. That might apply to a few teams. And it might apply to a few teams who are in mid-table. Without one or two players, they could be in the relegation dogfight. But the stats do prove that. Um, Around that time as well, we lost uh, Vardy for a few games. And also uh, Wilfred Ndidi as well. But that was was fairly alarming. Uh, For Leicester to keep up that pace, and at that time... Remember that we were the nearest challengers actually to Liverpool, weren't we? And then Liverpool came to town and and steamrolled us in in what has been called on on a few reviews of Liverpool season their best performance and their key win really because it kind of it killed off any kind of uh, slight flame on the fire of Leicester's title bid possibly, and it really was the game that sealed the Premier League for Liverpool. Um, I, I don't think if it was a single game that maybe just completely damaged Leicester at all. I don't think that was the case. But 
the form did drop off. I, I don't think anyone maybe would have thought we would have been able to maintain the original form that we're on, the, the, the record amount of wins on the bounce and, and, and the highlight being that 9-0 win. But, but the drop-off was dramatic. Now, any side, I think, in the Premier League would really miss someone like Ndidi uh, and Jamie Vardy not being available in the uh, uh, for selection for certain games. But but overall, and again, we're talking over 17 games here, that's quite a drop-off. And the alarming thing probably would be that Rodgers couldn't turn it around. And he's tried on numerous occasions to play different formations, to play three at the back, to change things. We've been critical at times of his substitutions. For me, the time of his substitutions and also maybe the the lack sometimes of maybe uh, trying something outside of the box before it happens. Maybe um, not just changing player for player after a goal's gone in or late on in the game but maybe being a bit more proactive. And in next season, when there's going to be five substitutions, that's going to be the case. And I've mentioned before regarding the replacing, say, four players at one time, which which might happen. And that might reek of desperation at times, but also it, it could be a genuine tactic employed. But with all those things being tried, it didn't arrest the alarming slump which ultimately cost them Champions League football. So... Do you take the season into two parts? The 2019 part and then the 2020 part? Possibly. But the question marks will have to be answered. And every side hasn't got the the overall right to change um, their current form. Momentum is something in football, which is a very strange term and a very strange theory because there's people out there who just completely um, write off momentum and the former editor of the the racing post bruce millington he um he he does a few comment uh, columns and stuff like that and um and podcasts and he's always said um regarding momentum he hates the use of the word momentum and etc and 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 the theory behind it's uh, nonsense i disagree um a prime example would be leicester win than league you'd say but it can work the other way around as well if you're playing poorly can that form then continue? Yes, it can. I, I truly believe. And then it could take maybe a, a freak goal to change everyone and to change. They say with um, with golfers, you can have a golfer who's missed the cut for 10 tournaments on the bounce and all of a sudden just a, uh, holding out a bunker shot can just change their form overnight and then they can possibly go on to win that tournament and then future tournaments uh, later on, say, in the same month. So... There how there are question marks regarding Rogers on a, on on a couple of things, but it's the inability because that's his job to change and arrest that sliding form, which was dramatic. It was, yeah, and it's it's almost like a stubbornness, really, isn't it? It it he he changed formation, little tweaks here and there, the odd um, change in personnel. But there was never anything to say, right, this is the game where we're going to approach it in a slightly different way. You know, you've got to you've got to look at your different opponents and you've got to respect them. There are very few teams in the world that can that can play the same way every single game and win the majority of them. It's, it's just not possible, especially not in a league like the Premier League, where it's so competitive and you know 
I know it's a big cliche, but anyone can beat anyone on their day, and they and they really can. And that, I think the statistics over the years have have proved that that is more so the case in the Premier League than any other top flight um, league in Europe. So to to try and stick to the same style of play, I understand it, it was his first full season in charge. He is shifting the the way that we play because we've gone from counter-attacking side that won the Premier League to possession-based side under Puel that was effective occasionally. Uh, but now Brendan Rodgers wants us to be a high-pressing possession-based side. So it's a big transition. And I understand that to change that dramatically regularly would, un- could, would and probably could undo some of the, the hard work that he'd been doing on the approach and on the style of play. But at some times it is warranted and it is necessary both in matches and in preparation for matches to to ensure the best outcome for your team. Now, when you're winning eight games in a row, then great, that's fine. But once that finished, there was only one other time this season that we strung back-to-back league victories together and that was on the 28th of December and the 1st of January in 2020 we did not secure back-to-back victories in the Premier League so to move on to to respond to your point about momentum there there for me is proof if you ever needed it there is proof because you win one two three games in a row all of a sudden oh yeah we can win the fourth game we can win the fifth game we can we know what winning feels like we've got a spring in our step things that we are more confident to try are more likely to come off. When you're not winning as regularly, that spring isn't in your step. And I believe that's what momentum gives you. And it just didn't reappear. We had flashes of it. You know, when we, let's say when we lost to Norwich on the 28th of February, which many people would say was the the beginning of the end, really. But if you're looking at the the results there were there were some others in there obviously but straight after that we went out and smashed villa 4-0 bit of revenge for the league cup semi-final defeat and you're thinking oh okay yeah we lost to man city 1-0 we lost to norwich okay we'll sweep that one under the carpet here we are we're back 4-0 against villa we only won twice again for the rest of the season so some instant responses were had but they weren't sustained and and that is down to the players, yes, but also down to Brendan Rodgers being stubborn. What plan B is, I don't know, we'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit later on, but there has to be another way to win football matches other than the current sole Brendan Rodgers way. He's got to have more than one way of winning a football match. Now, you mentioned that defeat at Norwich. I'll throw in the home draw against Brighton which I said at the time, didn't I, Rob, was the worst non-defeat I've ever seen Leicester be involved in. It, it, what a what a terrible game and, and a missed opportunity. Even then, even at that time, it just seemed like a missed opportunity. Second game of the restarts. But um, but on to another high. Um, and we're going to go into each each player in detail. But I've uh, I've put down Kaglar Sonchu, who has been an absolute revelation because at the start of the season they were big question marks is this guy going to be our 
starting centre-half alongside Johnny Evans. Yes, and it's just worked fantastically. He's had a what a great season. But I would also throw in the, the combination play as well. And, and it's easy to go back to that game, but we're going to go back to it as well. The, the, the win at Southampton just highlighted uh, everything that Brendan Rodgers' Leicester is about. And you look at the combination play, a real high... Chilwell and Barnes on the left, how well that worked at times. Obviously, it's not going to work all the time, but you throw in Madison as well, who who naturally does drift over uh, maybe towards that side and does have that interchange maybe with, with Chilwell. And then on the other side, you've got Ricardo running from deep and, and, and maybe slipping in Vardy or taking himself to either the byline or, 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 or scoring. And then you've got... Yuri Tillemans in the middle pulling the strings and maybe that didn't happen maybe enough and, and his influence on on games kind of waned towards the end of the season and towards the end of pretty much each game because he, he fails to complete 90 minutes. But the combination across the pitch in different areas w- w- was fantastic for Leicester and, and it starts at the back. Evans, we know, has had a great season and, and, and is a, a fantastic leader and, and kind of figurehead at the back. But the way that Soyuncu has come into the side... And it's surprising. It's a player who, when you sign a player like this, and you don't see them for a long time, and you hear the odd, you know, murmurings about the fact that he's his English is very poor, and he's been playing poorly for the under twenty ones, etc. And you maybe going out on loan, and all of a sudden comes in, and you, when you have seen him, he, he does look um, rash and brash, and uh, a yellow card waiting to happen. But all of a sudden, he, he turns into. Probably, and it's quite hard to to really disagree with, one of the best centre-halves in the Premier League. Yeah, he was in those conversations, wasn't he? Not just with Leicester fans, but with supporters of other clubs and experts, football writers, pundits, the lot. He was he was up there as in, in teams of the week and and conversations, as, uh, as particularly as the fact that he was a, a sort of direct comparison to Harry Maguire. And in the early part of the season when Manchester United weren't doing so well, you know, it it was highlighted as a real coup for Leicester that we'd binned off Maguire for 80 million and filled what looked like a gaping hole in our defence with a relatively unknown um, young Turkish lad. It's really been his coming of age season. and And I agree with you. It's a real high and a positive for the club because it's another nod to our ability to find players in in the midst of a, a European league from a team that, that you know very little about let alone the player that you're signing um and I think he, a lot of credit has to go to to Johnny Evans and and you would imagine more likely than not Wes Morgan behind the scenes as well for aiding Soyuncu's development into this player he's got the ability on the ball and the physicality to enjoy a very good career at the top level. The, the the thing that you would want him to continue to work on, which I think you would for most centre-backs of his age, is is the mentality side of things. I think the, the kick on Callum Wilson um, is an extreme, but it does highlight the fact that he has got that little bit, you used the word rash there, um, that bit of rashness within his personality, within his playing style. He wouldn't necessarily want to curb it too much because it would take away some of the good elements of his game in terms of his his uh, determination to win tackles, 
to get to balls in front of attackers. But it, it's something that will come with maturity and playing virtually the whole season as the first choice centre back in a team that was um, really knocking on the door of finishing in a Champions League place will be a huge, huge plus in his development personally. And I can only see him getting better and better because traditionally centre-backs are rarely at their peak before, you know, their mid to late 20s. So by the time he's 27, 28, you're, you're looking at a serious, serious player. But, you know, already right up there with, with one of the top performers in, in our team and in the Premier League this season. And also one more player who might not be included in our run through each player specifically in, in in the squad and that's Luke Thomas who was a surprise towards the end of the season needs must really when it comes to left backs because of injury problems but a, a, a real talent who it became clear after Christmas when all of a sudden he appeared in the first team squad in training and there was words about him in press conferences and and then all of a sudden appeared on team sheets, on the bench, and then eventually in the first team, and looks a a, a real prospect. Now, all of the uh, the performances so far have have just really highlighted that he's technically a very good player, and with experience should kick on and in a big way because he's nineteen, so he's not like a seventeen year old coming in. And remember in Chilwell, he was he was really young, wasn't he? And it took a, a number of years to get going and turn into the player that that we have on our hands at the moment. Maybe for not uh, an awful long time to come, but uh, but sure, uh, but with um, with Luke Thomas, he's uh, he, he's a he's a talent that I don't think we need necessarily be a first team player straight away next season unless he really does just develop uh, constantly over the summer and, and 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 there we go and he's fine but um that's a discussion for the second half but it's a real plus point to get another youngster another local lad was he Syston um into the team and also into the team knowing that He's there on merit. It's, it, yes, it was because of injuries, but you look at him now and you've got no problems with him playing or being in the conversation when it comes to what's going to be the starting lineup or at least um, the, the the next person along the line for each position. Uh, if you're talking left-back and Thomas is going to be behind Chilwell or behind Fuchs or whoever, that's not a problem. That's a real plus point. It is a real plus point. It gives us strength in depth in that position. And it's nice that that can come from the academy, but with um, that kind of quality. Because if you... You know, I always remember the the, pre, the old Premier League sticker books that I used to get when I was a kid. And they always used to put um, the, the team's sort of standard formation and then at least two, sometimes three players for for each position, as in first choice, second choice, third choice. And if you were doing that for Leicester, if they were playing a four, you would say the left-back would be Chilwell, then Fuchs, then Thomas. But if you're saying it as a three, and you're looking at Thomas Chilwell uh, as the left wing-backs, then then Thomas is your backup there, really, um, as uh, for, for Chilwell. If Chilwell leaves, do we need to sign another left-back? Yes, because Luke Thomas is is not currently in a position to play 38 Premier League games, in my opinion. And 
at this stage of his career. That's not why Christian Fuchs has been offered a new one-year deal that he signed uh, for, to play 38 games. That's not that's not the idea. But he's a fantastic player, Luke Thomas, to to have had the chance to see uh, for a couple of games towards the end of the season. And that'll give him the taste to work even harder, you would imagine. If if, if everything that you hear from Rodgers, from Morgan, etc., about his his mentality and his his calmness and his character is is true, then these three games, he won't be like, oh, yes, look at me, I've arrived. Those three games will be like, right, I, wanted, I, I enjoyed, really enjoyed playing in the first team in the Premier League and I want more of that, so I'm going to get my head down and work even harder. So there are one or two highs or lows for the season, Rob. Have you got any uh, any extras written down? No, that was it. We've covered everything that I had noted down. There are obviously lots more, but those were the sort of serious peaks and serious troughs, you've got to say. Now, speaking of highs and lows, there's been plenty of highs and lows, mainly lows when it comes to, especially my side, in the Fantasy Premier League, the Fox 8 Fantasy Premier League side, uh, or league. Now, for the final time, Rob, play that music. Okay, so this is the top 10, the final top 10, the final standings of the For Fox Sake podcast Fantasy Premier League. In 10th place is Luke Taylor with Leicester City, spelt obviously slightly different, that's why I said it weird, with 2,187 points. Up into 9th place is Daniel Chances with Pianic Prevention with 2,200 points. In 8th place, staying in 8th, is Are You Sure, Matt Hatson, and he's on 2,203 points. Down into seventh place, Ben Payne, Barcelona, 2,232 points. Up into sixth place, Gav Brown with Saigon Foxes, 2,247 points. A really good 79-point haul in the last week. On to the top five. The top five, Joe Healy in fifth with Vardy Annuals, 2,264 points. Down into fourth place, led for a long time. A bit of a Leicester, really. Uh, it's Alex Ekonomu with Video, video Kill the Saudio, uh, 2,299 points. The top three up into third place, it's Daniel McCready. With Rogers, the cabin boy, 2,320 points. Two teams remain, but there's a bit of a gap. In second place, it's Graham Large, whole yacht of love, with 2,359 points. But the winner of the inaugural for Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Premier League League is Ben Melbourne. With Vini Vidi Vardi, 2,403 points. So he wins by a total of what's, uh, what's that, 44 points? Fantastic. Ben Melbourne, you've won the league. Big congratulations. That's a serious point haul, points haul, that is. And it's a decent gap at the top as well. Uh, at this stage, but well done to everybody that made it into the top set. Actually, no, well done for everybody that had a go. And thank you, because when we first decided to start this at the beginning of the season, 
we didn't necessarily know or think that so many of you would be so willing to get involved in the league. So it, it's been a good motivator for us, hasn't it, Pete, as well, to, to keep an eye on our team and make sure that we're making those changes week in, week out to try and hold some kind of standing within the league and not just languish at the bottom like your dad has for most of the season. Um, looking a little bit further down, it uh, is clear that my only target for the season uh, has been met. My target in the Fantasy Premier League was to beat you, and I have succeeded. Anyway, that's it for for Fox sake. We won't talk about the uh, Premier League anymore. It's a fancy football, none of this. <laughs> yes, you did. You didn't do too badly. Pete. No, you've done well with your side. You're in 22nd place, uh, 2,112. So you beat me by 18 points. I'm in 27th place. I mean, it's it sounds like a long way down, but actually I'm only, what, four points behind. Yeah, you know, it's, it's fairly tight down there. But, yeah, well done. 22nd compared to 27th. By the way, just, uh, where's my dad? Yeah, stone last. Atletico, pathetico. I think that about sums it up, really. But, uh, yeah, you beat me. It all went wrong towards the end. I think a few people have got free hits and all sorts. And, yeah, obviously the um, the interruption in the season. I didn't really do well straight away afterwards. I had one or two decent weeks late on, but no, I think a few people actually just looking at uh, Ben Melbourne, your side. Um, yeah, you used your free hit on the last day. Uh, Sterling De Bruyne. Yeah, 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 very good. Um, yeah, no, but it's been a success and something that we'll definitely do next season. Unless you're uh, you're just going to let rest on your uh, laurels and. And and not enter again, Rob. No, no. I mean, I'm in a similar position to the real Leicester in in terms of my disappointment that I, for so long after the restart, had managed to climb myself up into the top twenty, uh, and then I had a slightly disappointing final day uh, and just slipped outside of it. So my my motivation for next season is is top twenty. All right. Well, I'm going to aim to win it. None of this top twenty malarkey. I mean, I know I was quite way off uh, from Ben Melbourne, but. It'll be interesting next year to see whether actually the uh, the leaderboard changes, whether those towards the top are actually just really good at at FPL. It's the first league of actually uh, first year I've actually done the um, the fancy football using the official fancy football Premier League app. Normally I use a different one, you see. So uh, I think it's just taken me a year to get used to all the you know the free hit tokens and the double game week livers and all this. Um, so that there's my excuse. So next year. I'm looking on building into the top ten. I'm I'm going to go for the title next year. I think uh, I think that's going to be uh, yeah. And, and how many do we get in the league? Let's have a look. Seventy seven overall. So yeah, thanks everyone for playing the fancy football. We'll definitely do that again next year. And well, that's the end of part one of our review slash preview of the football season that we've just endured for over a year now. But uh, we'll be back with part two. You've got it already because they're both going to be released at the same time. And in part two, we're going to go through every single player on the Leicester side, give them their For Fox 8 podcast rating of the season, and then look to next season. Who we're going to sign? Who are the three players that I want, that Rob wants, and where do we need to improve? And an overall look at how the club looks going into a European season.